Welcome to 35 West. I'm Ryan Berg, director of the Americas program at CSIS and host of the 35 West podcast. With how professional the Mexican but government are we ready? I don't reform think. trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. Role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. On September 4th, Chileans took to the polls for a constitutional referendum that saw a highly progressive draft constitution overwhelmingly rejected, with 62% voting against and just 38% voting in favor. The current constitution was drafted in 1980 under the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet and enshrined a neoliberal, free market-based economic model. In October of 2019, mass civil unrest broke out in Chile as thousands demonstrated against rising cost of living and insufficient public services, a movement which culminated in a push for a new constitution. However, while the vast majority of Chileans want a new constitution, the results of September 4th suggest that the draft put forward for approval, which laid out a radically different vision of national governance and identity, was not what the people had in mind when they voted to rewrite the constitution. This week, we are joined by Patricio Navia, professor of liberal studies at New York University, as well as professor of political science at Universidad Diego Portales in Chile. Dr. Navia joins me today to discuss the outcomes of the constitutional referendum, what we can expect in Chile now that the draft has been rejected, and what the vote means for the rest of the Boric administration's policy agenda. In this episode, we will outline explanations for the success of the reject campaign, several themes in recent Chilean political history, as well as the significance of a referendum in a broader geopolitical context. Thank you for joining us today, Patricio. Thank you for having me. Let's begin by talking about the text that was up for debate in the recent referendum. The draft constitution was both celebrated and criticized as one of the most socially progressive visions for a constitution anywhere in the world. So Patricio, can you share with us some of the key sections from the draft constitution? What about this document makes it so different from the current 1980 constitution? For once, it's a much longer constitution, but it is also a policy platform more than a constitution. So the, the fact that you mentioned social issues and social policy, those are things that are normally associated with government platforms. And people vote for more progressive governments or more conservative governments every time they have there is an election. This constitution wanted to enshrine a social platform into the constitution. So it wasn't just about the rules of the game, how the political system would be set up, whether there would be a central bank, a judicial system, and, and other things that are normally associated with constitutions. It also established a government program. It said, for example, that Chile had to privilege, it had to make more important the relations with other Latin American countries than relations with other countries around the world. So those were policy issues. And this was a very, very long constitution, the longest in Chile's history and one of the longest in Latin America, a region known for very long constitutions. So it was a constitution that covered way too many issues that should normally not be covered by uh, constitutions. And Precisely because Chileans wanted to have a better country and not a different country, they ended up rejecting this constitution that I think when it comes down to it, it was just way too long and it covered way too many things that should normally not be associated with what a constitution does or what a constitution says. But this constitution got into discussing policy issues, and that was probably the biggest mistake. 
Perhaps most notable in the recent referendum was the fact that popular support for a new constitution was so high, but support for this particular constitution was low, even within traditionally left-leaning households and indigenous communities. In your opinion, what are the principal explanations for this divide between support for the constitution drafting process and the poor showing of the current draft constitution? Okay, so people wanted a new constitution because they wanted more social rights. So they perceived the Pinochet constitution, the 1980 constitution, as restricting social rights, as limiting the ability of the state to provide for a safety net, better pensions, better education, better health care. So in essence, Chileans wanted to expand the Bill of Rights. This is what they were really after. And the Constitutional Convention decided to write a whole new constitution. So this is like when you want to remodel your house because you don't like the kitchen very much. And the people who come to remodel the house decide to do everything anew. And then you said, well, the other things were okay. I just hated the kitchen. Um, I wanted more social rights. Why did you get into remodeling everything? So Chileans are still in favor of a new constitution that can expand social rights. They just don't want to create a whole new country. They said, well, there are many things in Chile that do work well and that we want to keep, but we do want to fix a few things. So they demand this for a new remodeling group to come in and say, well, we're going to remodel the kitchen, which is what you wanted to remodel. We'll leave the other things that are working well in place and we're not going to change everything. The drafting process itself was notable as it featured many political outsiders and independent members not affiliated with traditional parties. If there is another attempt to rewrite the Constitution, how might the Constitutional Convention structure or the rewriting process itself, if there is no convention, change as compared to the first time? So one of the great things about the constitution writing process was that there was an election for the first time in Chile's history. The constitution was drafted by an elected body with gender parity. Half of the members um, of this body were women. There were representatives of indigenous groups and many people who were not associated with political parties also got in the process, largely because the approval of political parties is very low in Chile. So many people thought, well, we don't really like architects. We don't think they're very good at remodeling. So we're going to choose people who know nothing about architecture to see what they can do. Probably the lesson has been learned. And while it is important to have popular participation and popular input, it is also important to have the input of of experts, of people who have worked under different constitutions, who understand what constitutions are for, who understands the pros and cons of different constitutions and different constitutional rules to participate in the drafting of constitutions. If you are going to remodel the kitchen, you want the person that does the cooking to participate in the remodeling because after all, they are going to be the ones that are going to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. You might get the people who eat the food involved, but after all, those that work in the kitchen are the ones that should have more of an input into what works well and what doesn't work well. So Chileans will probably go through a different constitution writing process. There's obviously the risk here that we might end up in kind of a Groundhog Day type of movie situation, right? So we repeat the right the constitution writing process every year and we never succeed at doing it. But provided that we learn lessons, the new process should probably have more experts, technocrats, people who understand about constitution writing 
in combination with representatives of political parties democratically elected. But it is never a good idea to bring in people who have never been part of the political process to participate in the writing of how the pro political process should be conducted. You want people with some experience. You want to incorporate a lot of voices, but if you're going to remodel the kitchen, you should bring in the people who normally do the cooking. The process of developing a new constitution is more than a mere formality, especially in this case, as we've discussed already, proposed revisions would usher in fundamental changes to Chile's economic and political model. So how will continued uncertainty around the new constitution impact Chile's economic and post-pandemic recovery efforts? There is going to be a cost. I mean, the, the reputational cost of Chile has already suffered a, a lot because we spent three years on a constitution writing process. At the end of the day, people rejected the constitution writing. So we brought in the remodeling team. They spent three years in the house and it looks as they haven't done anything yet and we're going to have to start doing everything anew. So uh, there is constitutional writing fatigue in Chile. The population is upset, discontent. They want results soon. They want to see a new constitution that meets their expectations. So it is incumbent upon the political class in Chile to do the process right uh, this time around. And they don't really have that much time. So they are probably going to set a one-year deadline. So by the end of 2023, uh, there should be a new constitution drafted that can be approved by a majority of the uh, electorate. There will be a cost, and, and the country has already paid a high cost. So Reforming the constitution and introducing more social rights is pricey. There is no question about it. But having social peace is priceless. So it is important to do it, uh, but they do have to do it better this time around, and they have to do it within a time framework that doesn't increase the costs way too much for the Chilean economy. President Gabriel Boric has made constitutional reform a key priority for his administration, notably hitching his wagons to the Apruebo or I Approve campaign. So how does the September 4th defeat impact his ability to advance the rest of his ambitious domestic agenda? Right. So President Boric was elected to conduct a political process and introduce a number of political and economic reforms. Now, he put all of his eggs into the constitution writing basket. So now he doesn't really have the mandate to carry out the reforms. The reforms he promised will be delayed. And perhaps most importantly, his ability to advance his own programs is going to be delayed because we're going to have to wait for another year to have a new constitution. So in essence, President Boric's problem is that he tied his own future to the success of the constitution writing process, and we're already six months into his term. And if we have a new constitution, that constitution will be enacted around two years into his term. So he's not going to have a lot of time to do what he promised, precisely because he spent all the time or half of the time in his administration going through the constitution writing process. So if he's the cook, he's going to have to wait until the kitchen gets remodeled before he can start doing any cooking. 
The current constitutional process is the result of three years of political agitation from all sides, as you've mentioned, Patricio, and heavy involvement from civil society. So how can we expect these same social movements to respond now that the future of the process is once again uncertain? Right. So people want more social rights. They want to have a better country, not a new country. And they want to have better pensions, better health care, lower costs. I mean, inflation is high in Chile as well. And people's purchasing power has declined in the past year after the pandemic. So people do not have a lot of patience. There is constitutional writing fatigue. They want to see results. And there will be a tension between the government saying we can start producing results after the new constitution is written and people who want to see results now. This will probably negatively affect the Boric administration. In fact, we know based on polls that a lot of people voted against the constitution because they didn't like high inflation and because they disapproved of the Boric administration. They weren't reading the constitution. They were just reacting to the direction they feel the country is moving towards, and they don't like that direction. They want to shift the direction and go into a, a different place. So the government is going to be hard-pressed to provide some results, to promote economic development, to reduce inflation and increase employment so that people can see results before the new constitution is enacted. The September 4th referendum and its aftermath has been watched closely by observers in the region, especially those who focus on the pulse of democracy as well as left-wing political movements. Now, many commentators have spoken of the rise in left-wing political movements throughout the region, of which Chile is a notable example. Does the outcome of the constitutional referendum, in your mind, Patricio, suggest a limit to the ability of left-leaning populist movements in general? Are there any lessons we can infer from Chile's experience for other countries in the hemisphere? What we have really seen in Chile since the pandemic began in 2020, or in Latin America since the pandemic began in 2020, is that incumbents have lost elections. So it's not that left-wing candidates win and right-wing candidates lose. Incumbents have lost all over the place because people are discontent. People want to change direction and they vote for the opposition. To a large extent, this is what we saw in Chile on September 4th. It's not that Chileans became all of a sudden right-wingers after they had voted for a left-wing candidate in December 2021. They didn't like where the country was going in late 2021 and they voted for change. They don't like where the country is going now and they voted for change again. So it's not that voters changed, the government changed and people want to punish the government. So be it left-wing or right-wing governments, governments need to understand that they need to produce results. People want to see the country improving. And if they don't see that, they will vote against the government, not against or in favor of left or right-wing administrations. They want the country, the governments to produce results. And if governments fail to produce results, people will punish them at the polls. While a setback for an already slow-moving process, the referendum appears to signal that democracy and political competition is alive and well in Chile. How would you assess the strength of Chile's democratic institutions over the past three years and following the referendum? And are there any warning signs that we should be aware of? So 
Chilean democracy has resisted a very, very difficult test. The response to the political process was institutionalized into a constitution writing process that hasn't really worked well. But Chileans turned out in very, very high numbers. It was a record turnout on September 4th. Almost 90% of the population turned out to vote. It was mandatory voting, but there wasn't going to be a real fine if people didn't show up. So people went and voted because they believed that democracy is the only game in town and problems should be solved uh, democratically. I think the Chilean electorate sent a very powerful message um, to the rest of Latin America and to the rest of the world. They said, okay, so the political elites are offering us this Christmas tree constitution with presents for everyone. It's not clear as to who's going to pay for that, and it's not clear as to whether the political system that the new constitution creates will actually work. So we're going to reject this Christmas tree um, constitution because we need to know how the system will work and whether it can be sustainable, whether it can be paid for. So I think it's an important vote against populism, against the false promise that you can simply put things on the constitution and they will miraculously become a reality. That doesn't happen. In order to build better societies, more developed societies, more prosperity, you do need to find a way to finance those social programs and to produce economic growth. And that's what Chileans voted for. And and I think um, that's an important message and it should be heard elsewhere in Latin America. Patricio, is there something that we did not cover? Anything else that you would like to highlight or add? Yes, I think it is important to remember that Chileans wanted a stronger safety net. They didn't want a whole new country. They wanted to improve the country. And I think one important lesson for Latin American countries and Latin American democracies in particular is that in order to make the country better, you need gradual progress. You need pragmatic progress. You need policies that are supported by a large majority. So the big lesson Chile lives for the rest of Latin America is that whenever the left or the right come to power, when they win elections, they need to understand that they need to implement reforms that are widely shared by the population. They cannot try to impose their worldviews on the other sector because then the only thing that will happen is that four years later, the other sector will win and they will try to impose their own views. They need to build a national view, some national agreement as to where the country should move forward and push with gradual and moderate policies in that direction. Patricio Navia, thanks for joining us on 35 West. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. For you, thank you for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West.